welcome to Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. On Folk Roots Radio, we're all about the music and the people that make it. Now coming up, we're pleased to bring you another very special edition of the show, as we're joined by Miranda Mulholland for an in-depth conversation. Classically trained on violin and in voice, Miranda, who is also a member of Harrow Fair with Andrew Penner, they just released their second album, Since We Made. Well, she joins us this time around to chat about her second solo album, By Appointment or Chance, which was nominated for a Juno in the Roots Traditional Album of the Year category. So settle down and enjoy Miranda Mulholland in conversation on Folk Roots Radio. Thank you. 
That's Miranda Mulholland with her version of Kate and Anna McGarrigal's Heart Like a Wheel. And that's from Miranda's latest solo album, the Juno nominated by Appointment or Chance. That album was recorded in the village of Twyford in England, and it's a first solo release since 2014's Whipping Boy. Now, as well as being a solo artist, Miranda is also a member of the duo Harrow Fair, with the Sun Parlor players Andrew Penner. And they also have a new album, The Sins We Made, coming out very soon. And Miranda has played fiddle on many studio recordings and toured with the likes of the Great Lakes Swimmers and the Mahomes, as well as her own fiddle trio, Bellstar, with Kendall Carson and Stephanie Cadman. She also finds time to run her own record label, Roaring Girl Records, and the Muskoka Music Festival, and continues to travel the world advocating for fair remuneration for creators. So there's a lot going on. I guess she doesn't get to sleep too much these days. But to learn more about the music of Miranda Mulholland, we're pleased to welcome her to Folk Roots Radio. You must like being a busy person, do you? Oh, I do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I feed on it. That's a healthy way, right, to be involved in so many things. It, it's, uh, I, I know I follow you on Twitter, and it's always nice to see, okay, what's Miranda doing this week? Oh, she's in Zurich. Oh, she's in London. Oh, she's back at home and she's resting. But you've lots going on. You've got your own album, which has been very well received. Up for Juno. Congratulations on that. Now, unfortunately, the Junos haven't happened yet because we are in the midst of this COVID-19 emergency, which has really turned things up and down for musicians, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a real challenge, I know, for uh, for a lot of my colleagues and I thought I'd be preparing for tour right now, but um, I am cozied up here in my house and um, and just trying to make things better for, for my friends. Well, as I mentioned at the start, Hara Fair's new album is coming out very shortly. We will have a feature-length interview with Miranda and Andrew, but everybody's on Zoom these days. We're doing a Zoom video call today, and everybody is on Zoom because it's a perfect way to, to look at people and, and have a meeting, which is obviously what we're doing now as an interview. Before we actually get into the meat of the interview, Miranda, though, I did want to ask you where things stand with the Junos, because you were nominated for traditional album of the year for By Appointment or Chance, but they haven't happened yet. Do you have an update on when that may happen? They don't have any plans at the moment that are um, that are public or that are uh, that are underway as far as as far as I know. I know they're they're trying to think of what to do and how best to serve their community and also you know how to cope with this massive crisis in the live music sector. So they've got a lot on their plates right now, and I'm just happy to be Juno nominated for extra amount of time. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm pretty sure because I do a lot of these interviews, you will continue to be Juno nominated, whichever way it works out. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm happy to have that yeah. for sure. So it's great to to have you join us today. By appointment or chance came out late in 2019. Very well received. What I love about this album is the wonderful story that's wrapped around it. And I'm going to get you just to tell us a little bit about how you ended up making your second solo album in Twyford in England, because it's a lovely story. And it's a story that kind of developed over time, didn't it? Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, about four and a half years ago, I was in, in England doing a tour with Great Lake Swimmers, and I stayed at a promoter's house in the village of Twyford. And I was in love with it immediately. They are, the t- t- village of Twyford is about an hour and a half from London. It's in Hampshire. 
um, you can walk 10 minutes and you're on the train at the train station. Uh, there are two village pubs. There's one little corner store. Yeah, I was captivated immediately. So that visit, the hosts were just talking about their new camper van and they were going on a camper van holiday in the spring and they needed somebody to look after their very difficult but most beautiful cat, Poppy. And, um, you know, I, I live alone. I don't have, I, I'm away so much I can't have a pet. So, um, and I love cats. So I thought, well, this is perfect. And I said, well, I'll do it, you know, not even knowing anything about where I would be in the spring. But I knew that I wanted to go to Twyford and stay there for a month and look after this ornery cat. So uh, I did that for four years every spring and went to Twyford and all the villagers know me and um, that crazy Canadian redhead who buys all the crisps at the local shop. And so the fourth year, I thought I'd really enjoyed my downtimes and being able to walk in the English countryside. It's so beautiful. I walk into Winchester, which takes about an hour and and get some uh, groceries and then cook myself a fancy meal when I got home, just sort of slowed down the pace of, of life. I mean, you, you mentioned that I, I, I am quite busy. And so being there and just having sort of the enforced time um, alone and to, to slow down a bit was really helpful. And also, you know, to, to take the time to write and to, um, to muse on some things. So that was really great. And, um, but I, I got a little lonely, to be honest. So this last year I decided to invite some friends and they have a little shed in their garden, which is um, more than a shed, I should say. They they do house concerts there. So my brilliant friend, who's also a producer, came and filled it up with great equipment. So that was Tally Trow, who's also who's an, he's from the UK, and then my Australian harpist friend Tara Minton, who's incredible. She lives in in London. She came down, and then uh, Joe Phillips, who's on a million Canadian records. He's the best. He's a bass player. I flew him in. So we all we all got to live in the house together. And every day we would get up, have breakfast in the morning, then record and rehearse and record and rehearse all day. And then everybody happened to be a great cook. So we had incredible meals at night. And then at the end of it all, we won the pub quiz. <laughs> it was a huge moment. Now, there was a Twyford question, and I was going to ask you, what was the question? Because I want to direct people to your website, mirandamulholland.ca. Go to Miranda's website. You can see pictures from uh, Twyford about the recording. You can learn about the album. You can listen to the album. And in this beautiful story you've told about going to record in the Swiss cottage, which, as you say, is much more than a shed in a garden in Twyford, there's the issue of the Twyford question comes up in the pub quiz. So what was the Twyford question? The Twyford question was, uh, what is the, the number of the bus that comes through um, at a certain time in the day? And I knew it was the 169. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I won the, yeah, I got that one right. I was very proud of myself. No, that, that's lovely because as I mentioned before, I, I do follow you on Twitter and it's always fun to see what you're up to each uh, each day. And it's one of the nice things is, you know, when you share these stories about, you know, going places to record, because we're going to talk a bit more about the music business later, about how much it has changed over the past few years. And obviously, we suddenly have this uh, whole pandemic thrown on top of everything else. But, you know, as musicians, you really have to be fairly savvy about the way you manage your career. And I do get the impression that uh, you're savvier than most as far as making good use of the time you have. One thing I think I, I realized pretty early on is one great way to conserve energy is actually just to have a few different projects on the go that you're really excited about. Because if you kind of get to a standstill on one of them, you can just flip the switch and start on another one with renewed excitement. 
And so that's just a nice way of not getting stale on anything. So that's how I kind of keep my portfolio, as you say, sort of, of of all the things I do, but keep it fresh and keep it revitalized. So let's talk about the album. It's Juno nominated in the traditional album category, and it has quite a traditional feel to it. I, I haven't you know, checked on exactly how many traditional songs on there. There must be four or five, right, on there? Well, some are traditional and some are um, traditionally inspired and some are, uh, like I used one that I set um, a Tennyson poem but uh, to a traditional type of setting that I wrote. Yeah, definitely wanted to have that feel of, of songs that I have either found, well, by appointment or chance along the way, you know, a, a bunch of songs that either I played at some point over my, uh, it, at some point during my career, some with the Mahones, you know, and all my, all the Celtic stuff I used to do. You know, I used to play in the pubs to pay my rent when I went to university. Uh, so I played, you know, a lot of Irish tunes there and and fell in love with the vast amount of incredible songs that they have. And that really inspired even my writing. So I feel as though a lot of my songs here and even stuff that I contribute to Harold Fair um, definitely have that kind of Celtic spin a little bit. So we started off with your version of Anna McGarrigal's Heart Like a Wheel. We actually snuck in the first track of the album, which is Dawn, which, you know, those of you who are listening think, oh, my God, Jan's playing Dead Air. Well, it's not Dead Air because it actually is what the Dawn sounds like. And being somebody who I'm always up at Dawn because it's my favorite time to walk in the day. Actually, there's a really nice English feel to the way this all starts up. I literally taped that outside my window, my bedroom window in Twyford. There's an incredible tree right next to the window and um, and all of the birds come and roost in it. Uh, and so that was my dawn chorus every morning. And, you know, I'd, I'd look over at the cat and the cat would be waiting for me to get up and feed her. So I just always love that morning, uh, that morning sound of all those birds. Now, Heart Like a Wheel, I think, is a song that you actually sung when you were part of the Soul Pepper Cabaret. Isn't that right? Because you, you've That's done correct. a lot. Well, yeah. we started off saying how many things you do now, but you've done an awful lot of things in the last few years. I have. I've been so fortunate to to get to work with so many amazing people and um, <clears throat> went down to New York to be part of the Soul Pepper on uh, 42nd Street. We were there for a month and, uh, and I was in a bunch of, of shows and cabarets, including um, a, a musical that was uh, mentioned in the New York Times as a critic's pick. So it was a really amazing time. And that song I'd been asked to perform a few years back and then it kind of became in the repertoire with Soul Pepper. But it's so moving. And the first time I had to sing it, I had just had a breakup with with a boyfriend. And, and I remember having to get up on stage and get through this heartbreaking song without crying. And funny enough, I still, I, you know, I still love the song. So that's a test of a good song, I guess. <laughs> now, I, I first met you at Hillside, I think. I'm not sure what year it was. When with Bellstar, I, I have to ask. Do Bellstar get to play much these days? Are you so busy with everything else? They probably don't, do they? Yeah, we're so busy. Um, Kendall is um, on tour full-time with Alan Doyle. Um, and Stephanie has moved to um, to an island uh, off the coast of... Uh, oh, she, no, she, she lives in Victoria now. She just moved to Victoria. Um, she was living on Salt Spring. But um, so we're kind of far apart in geography, but we're not far apart in our hearts. We certainly reach out to each other all the time. We miss each other. We help each other. Um, we have phone dates and um, whenever we can see each other, obviously we try. We'd love to play again, actually. And, and we've, we've discussed because somebody has a festival. <laughs> so I'm trying to get the girls together. But it's, it is it's challenging 
um, with everybody's commitments. But I think one day it may happen because I know there's a lot of us who still have very fond memories. I remember at Hillside, you really brought the tent down that day. It was just a, yeah, a truly so fabulous great. experience. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I flew out to um, surprise Stephanie last year, um, uh, two years ago with Barney Bental's uh, show that he does every Christmas. And I flew out. Uh, she didn't know I was coming and Kendall was there already. And so we got to surprise Steph. And then we did um, a surprise um, reunion song, a couple songs at that show. Um, and Jim Cuddy had never seen us and he and he'd been told about us before, but he'd never seen it. And so he came up afterwards and sort of said, what is this? You should be on Carnegie Hall. This is ridiculous. Get back together. Well, so, uh, I don't know. Jim Cuddy said so. We should do it. Well, you know, and I guess the thing is because you have all of these relationships, when the time is right you'll be able to do something again. Exactly. Like the Muskoka Music Festival. I want to go back to the album and play one of your instrumentals. Now, this is a beautiful instrumental. In fact, it might have been the first track that I picked to play. It is just absolutely beautiful. And I think it's you obviously on fiddle and then Tara Minton on harp. And that's Bar Rage. As I understand it, I think this uh, this song, this tune was also on your first solo album. I was curious as what the difference was. Well, you know, I wrote this tune after I was in a show called Barrage. And I had sort of left rather unceremoniously from that show. And I, uh, so I wrote the tune. I recorded it on my first album with Sean Watkins down in L.A., and I was a bit done with it, to be honest. And but Tara and I did a show in London, in England. It was in the back garden. It's this incredible series called the Nest Collective, and they do these campfire club. So they, you, if you buy a ticket, they'll send you where you go. And it's sort of, you, you end up in these very strange places all over London, but it's really magical. And there's always a campfire and then some amazing musician that you've never heard of. And then they have this, this great little concert. So we decided to perform that. And Tara said, what about Bar Age? Um, I really love this tune. And I sort of said, well, now I, I, think, I think I'm done with that one. And then she she learned it and um, made me play it. And it had such a different voice. The tune just changed 100%. If you A-B them, you can hear a really difference in approach, in tempo, in mood. She's a jazz harpist as well, not a Celtic harpist. So she put some really interesting chords in there, along with Joe Phillips on the bass there. They, they did a really different take. And so... Yeah, it just made me like it again. It was a, a, seeing it through her eyes, hearing hearing it through her, her ears. I, I like the tune again. And so we decided to put it on the record. Let's listen to that just now. This is Miranda Mulholland with Bar Rage from her wonderful new album. It's entitled By Appointment or Chance. It is Juno nominated. And you're listening to Folk Roots Radio. And I'm Jan Hall.
is Karen Morand, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with my friend, Jan Hall. That's Miranda Mulholland with Bar Rage from her new album. It's entitled By Appointment or Chance. Miranda's our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. She's at home in Toronto. I am in Leamington, Ontario. We're talking via Zoom, which has become the cool new hangout during the COVID-19 emergency. Miranda, because she's a very busy person, I think probably does the, does this most of the day. I certainly get the impression that she's running from one thing to another, and I never know whether that... Are you coffee-fueled? Is that how you get through the day? <laughs> um, coffee and then tea. And then and now, right now, it's been tequila. I make a little margarita. <laughs> but generally, a little Manhattan in the evening or some wine. So, yeah, I switch my beverages up depending on the time of the day. No, that's good. Well, it's quite clear to me that you obviously have life down and certainly life as a musician. And I want to steer the conversation into life as a musician because, you know, you we mentioned that you are still a member of Bellstar. They're kind of in a hiatus situation. You're very active with Andrew Penn in Harrow Fair. You have a new album uh, as Harrow Fair, Things We Made, coming out very shortly. But you also play with a lot of other people. And I'm, you know, I, I know I've seen you on stage playing with the Great Lake Swimmers. I mean, that's a uh, that's something you did for quite a few years. I just was interested in how you end up getting hooked up with all of these different people to play with. Take us through how that works from your point of view as a to hire fiddle player. Well, I went to school for opera performance. As I said, I, I played the fiddle in pubs to pay my rent while I was doing that. And I really fell in love with folk music. You know, I'm classically trained on violin and uh, as a singer, but there's so much more freedom I found in folk music and improvisation, which I really fell in love with as well. And from there, you know, I joined, I started joining different bands. I was in the Mahomes Celtic punk band, which I'm, I think it may have taken a few years away from my liver, <laughs> uh, if not my life, but, um, but it was good lessons. And in fact, I learned so many great lessons from Finney, the lead singer about just being a, a good citizen and, and musician in the world, certain tiny little things that have helped me uh, along the way, such as if you're put on a guest list and you can't make it, always call them and say you're not coming so they can make the spot for you. That sounds like just, you know, normal advice, but you'd be surprised how many people just don't show up. And then you have all these empty spots on someone's guest list and it's a waste for everyone. But, and, and that particular piece of advice helped me because one day I was on Blue Rodeo's guest list for Massey Hall. Um, I'm friends with, well, I was friends with Bobby Egan at the time, and he had got me on the list, and I knew I couldn't go. So I phoned their office, Starfish Entertainment, the managers, and I got Susan DeCarche on the phone, who was their manager. And she was very scary at the time. I was very scared of her. But I said, Hi, uh, this is Miranda Mulholland. Uh, you probably don't know who I am, but I play fiddle with Justin Rutledge and NQR Buckle anyway, um, and the Mahomes. But uh, I just, and she said, what do you want? What are you calling about? And I said, oh, I'm just calling to say I can't make it to Massey Hall. And I wanted to free up the guest list spot just so I wasn't wasting a ticket. And she said, wait a second. Are you, did you say you're a fiddle player? I said, yeah, yes, I'm a fiddle, you know, very stammery. I was <laughs> so nervous. And I said, yes, I'm a fiddle player. She said, I need a fiddle player. Send me your, your resume right now. And so I said, uh, okay, I'll send it over right, uh, right, right, right now. And I don't even think I had a resume at the time, but I wrote one up, sent it over to her. And she called me right back and said, great, I need a sub for a Jim Cuddy band on fiddle. Uh, show up here to take the tour bus and have a great show. This is the stuff you need. 
So I got uh, my first um, big kind of sub gig with Jim Cuddy, and that was around 2004 or 2005. So I've been his fiddle sub for <laughs> 15 years now. Uh, whenever Ann Lindsay can't can't do it, but um, you know, funny, I was just right 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 place, right time, and also you know, I could learn all the music, and I was ready to go and 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 play with him. Two days later, in Kirkland Lake. So you must be a quick studier, you know, because I, I imagine it, it's it's you, what your fiddle's in the case and somebody calls and says, hey, Miranda, we need you out here to come and do something. Do you tend to say yes first and then make sure you're up to speed by the time you get there? Yeah, I used to definitely say yes to everything. And I was lucky because, again, I have this classical background so I can sight read. But also I really love improvising, which makes it easy for, for me in situations that you can kind of see see a song in the mail and, uh, and be able to um, play along and then also just serve the song. You know, I feel like one of the biggest mistakes young musicians make when they're improvising is they try to play on everything and look, I'm doing something when actually sitting out listening and then figuring out when the best moment is to, to add another instrument. I think learning that, and that takes just, just practice, I guess, and, and having the opportunity, which was afforded to me by playing in the pub. So, so many years along with a bunch of songwriters and um and learning when to best add uh fiddle you know you don't want to just you don't want it to be constant you wanted to add your little moments and be a shimmer on the top so i'm i feel really lucky because of my training that um i was able to do that but now you know i i don't say yes to everything i used to have a rule it had to be two out of three things so good music good people and good pay and if it was two out of three then i would say yes because there's always a good reason to be there. And now, you know, as I'm, I'm getting older and also I've got more of my own projects and my own things that I, I have time for, then I'm getting even more picky um, as far as that's concerned. And I think you must get asked to play on people's recordings an awful lot more these days. And I imagine a lot of that is probably getting in touch and saying, hey, man, Miranda, can you add a little bit of a, you know, fiddle flair to, to this track or something is that a lot of how that tends to come through yeah a lot of people I know who um who I end up working with over and over again some people um I've done a couple things with Michael Timmons who's in Cowboy Junkies so I played on um I played on a Junkies record and also on a film score he did there's an amazing composer called Jim McGraw who did all of the Republic of Doyle stuff and so he would always call me for any Celtic things that he did he knew that I could I could that was in my wheelhouse so it's a lot of relationships and doing a lot of those things and also I'm yeah I'm usually I'm happy to play on you know it's so it's so fun to be able to add a little touch of something to to someone else's music and and hear all these beautiful songs so it's something I I really do enjoy I want to go back to the album and play another track and I've selected Peganol which is another one of the traditional songs I'm curious as to when you decide to pick up a song or a tune, is it something that you see somebody else perform and then you think, oh, that's pretty good. Maybe I could, you know, if I did, do you do you look at a performance and think, if I had that tune or that song, this is how I would do it and then, you know, make a note to, to consider it later? Is that how things happen? Yeah, definitely. And some are um, kind of also imbued with some sort of emotional connection. Um, and Peg and All was one. I uh, fell in love with the band Danu when I was on the touring circuit in the States for Celtic festivals. And I heard them perform it. And it was just a magical night. They were incredible. There was a, a great jam in the hotel. I remember a whole bunch of musicians all down in the lobby playing together. 
and uh, yeah, just we all kind of encompassed with that, um, that particular song really resonated. And it resonates for me now in a different way too, because musicians are going through the digital revolution, you know, something that, that, that is sort of talked about in the song as, as a, a different, a whole different kind of revolution, but where you're feeling like things that you're making are irrelevant at a certain point and not worth what the, the the work that you're putting into them. So it felt especially relevant today and sort of accompanying a lot of the advocacy work I do. It's also a great song. And um, I love that Tara, one thing that's really cool about this song and none, no reviewer has gotten this yet. They think it's the guitar, but actually Tara took a pen and she put it and into her harp. We, we, um, we put it in her harp and made the sort of a prepared harp song so people keep thinking it's a really neat guitar sound but it's actually the harp with a pen in it which we really wanted to start um, as the song went along kind of imitating different mechanics that were going to lead to the shoe uh, machine at the end so we we started off very traditionally and then started adding these elements of more kind of mechanical sounds um, until we get to the final verse but yeah, that's the secret on that that verse. And that's the sort of thing we love to hear from an artist when we talk to them for an interview. <laughs> Let's that's listen. the first time. No one else has oh. heard that. So that's just for you, Jan. Let's listen to that just now. This is Miranda Mulholland with Peg and All from her wonderful album, By Appointment or Chance. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. Shoes with 
peg one shoe, it pegs fifteen. I'm gonna lay me down my home. Sherwood, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall. That's Miranda Mulholland with Peganol from her album By Appointment or Chance. Miranda's our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. She's currently at home because we are in the midst of the COVID 19 emergency and it has completely upended live music. Uh, Miranda Mulholland, though, has been involved as an advocate for music for quite a while now. And Miranda, being our special guest on the, the the radio today, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about how you got into musical advocacy, because streaming up ended everything. I mean, you know, we now have people not even knowing what a CD is, which, I mean, and I'd be honest, I have a room full of CDs here, and I play them a lot. But even I, now, I'm starting to think, well, you know, I just work with the digital because it's easier from everything you want to do. But from an artist's point of view, it, it really has been a complete game changer, hasn't it? Yeah, it absolutely has. And I think, you know, we're still reeling. But again, artists are innovators. So a lot of things have, have come out of this. And I, you know, I, I even though I'm very, very strident as an advocate for remuneration for artists, I also don't want to be seen as um, anti-technology because there's a lot of great things that happen with with technology and being available. But yeah, I think there's just a lot of confusion in terms of what what audiences can do that can support the artists they love because there's so many different options and it's very murky. And so one of the things that I I try to make very clear are certain things that, that can be done and certain things that can be done by artists, by audiences, by government. And by industry to help keep the ecosystem alive and and continuing to to grow. And I really got into it a bit inadvertently because I've been pretty active municipally. I was on the Toronto Music Advisory Council uh, when it first started. You know, I was the youngest, I think I was the youngest member and, you know, one of the only musicians. And so I really felt like I had a responsibility to to take it seriously and be there. There was a lot of talk about Toronto Music City and What's a music city look like? And I made the point that you can have a music friendly city, but you can't have one without being a musician friendly city. And and that includes a lot of things like affordable housing and transportation infrastructure and some other things. And from there, I was introduced to another leader in the sector, Graham Henderson from the Music Canada, which is a trade organization for the major labels. 
So we've got that over here. And then I, I was on the board of SEMA for a little while, which is the independent labels. So I've had a lot of toes in different worlds and, um, and then as an artist, primarily. And from all of that, I guess I try to look at, again, that larger ecosystem and how we can best serve everyone and especially the most vulnerable. From there, I, I ended up uh, being asked to make a speech uh, at the Economic Club of Canada, um, which is a real honor. I was the first artist to take the podium. And all I did was really just talk about what life is like for artists these days and, and just how difficult it is to make a living. As I said you know, earlier, I mean, I've been Jim Cuddy's uh, sub on fiddle for 15 years. Uh, and that's a perfect example. And Lindsay, who's an incredible artist herself, but she she started 15 years before I did. And so our lives are very different looking, even though we've hit a lot of the same benchmarks. So yeah, that's that's been my impetus to sort of get get active and be involved. And um, I again, I feel really honored because it's taken me around the world. And, and I've been part at, you know, had a seat at the table at a lot of really important discussions, and just making sure that people remember that, that artists deserve, you know, the respect and, and the consideration. And, you know, as soon as you get someone at a table who not necessarily hasn't been at the table before, their the discussion does change, because suddenly, people realize that their language has to be thoughtful. Um, and so I feel like even just my presence has changed a lot of discussions. Now, you're chair, I think, of the Music Canada Advisory Council. And I think you have been working with Connect Music Licensing on a on a survey to to really help people understand the impact that this current COVID-19 emergency is having on artists. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks so much for asking about this. This has been my this was my work all last week. There have been so many surveys that have gone out uh, because of this, which is great, and trying to capture a 360 of what the industry looks like. One of my concerns was is that that there were questions missing from a lot of them that um, that were specific for artists who are the most vulnerable in this and at the heart of the ecosystem. Um, I'm very concerned about the venues and the live sector. Obviously, uh, we need venues in order to, to when we get back on our feet. But if we don't have artists to play them, then that is the that is a, a giant problem. So um, I really wanted to take care of the most vulnerable here, which is the artists. So I went to Music Canada, who've been amazing, listening to my ideas, taking me seriously and helping me with their with their back end and, and professionalism and infrastructure, help me make things happen. So I went to them with this idea and they helped me work on a series of questions. We consulted with other artists on the Music Canada Advisory Council and we consulted with Deloitte because... Deloitte is specifically per perfectly positioned to be able to go over survey like this and just make sure that our questions are being asked in the correct way to get the responses and the data that we can really use and we really want. You know, the, one of the interesting things and one of the benefits of a video call is to see how animated you get when you talk about this stuff. <laughs> I get the sense that you really quite enjoy, you know, the advocacy work. I'm curious as to whether... You know, I'm sure you're, I get the impression you're always, we're going to talk a little bit about Roaring Girl Records and the Muskoka Music Festival in a minute, but I get the impression that you're always kind of thinking about ways that you can, you know, move things forward. Uh, do you ever see maybe, I don't know, I think, oh, I could see Miranda Mulholland could be getting into politics maybe. Do you ever think you would do that? You know, you're not the first person to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel I am. I've been I've been certainly courted a couple of times already, and I'm you know I, I maybe we'll see. But one thing I learned last year, I did so much speaking. I was at the 
the, uh, the World Intellectual Property Organization and the World Trade Organization. And I was and at a, a bunch of conferences speaking about copyright and the importance of copyright. And it took a toll on me in a huge way because I wasn't performing. I just kind of crashed. And I, I've been really careful now to try to balance um, artistically and then also the advocacy work. And I really feel as though unless I'm performing or, well, right now I'm not performing, but I've, uh, but I've got an album out and coming out and, and working on all that. But it, if I'm not working on those creative things, then the advocacy stuff doesn't have as much impact because I'm not a working musician. And same goes the other way. I feel as though um, if I'm not trying to figure out solutions to problems, then I don't even feel as creative. So I have to really balance that for sure. I want to talk about Roaring Girl Records and the Muskoka Music Festival. But let's before we get there, let's play another track from the album. Uh, I'd like to play The Old Churchyard. Tell us a little bit about this one. This one I learned at a Folk Alliance conference. Uh, a band called the Murphy Beds was playing it. And, um, oh, I just, I fell in love with it. It was in my head for weeks. So I've always had it in my back pocket. And then to get to do this uh, in Twyford, especially, it was so, so lovely. Twyford has a, a very, very old church um, that's, that's perched at the top of the hill. And I used to go on my daily walks up through the churchyard. And, you know, there are these mossy gravestones and, it's ridiculously beautiful. I think there's a picture on my website of the church and the churchyard. And there's a huge history to that particular church and the architect. And I really pictured that. And it's funny because it links right back to to, uh, to Spoon River, which is the, the musical that I did in, um, in New York off Broadway, which is a collection of basically people from the dead talking about their lives. I don't know. I think walking through a churchyard not only can give you a sense of don't let your your life be wasted. Like live that live this day, live it to the fullest, which I I think is important. But but also sort of the serenity, which we which we all I think need maybe more than ever. Yeah, I love the song. Reminds me of Twyford now, and will be forever uh, interlinked. It's a beautiful song. This is Miranda Mulholland with the old churchyard from by appointment or chance. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. Cold and hot, their pillows may be 
joy of life it is marred when we follow lost friends to the old churchyard where i had rest near yonder tree why would you weep my friends for me i'm weary and wayworn why would you retard the peace i seek That's Miranda Mulholland with The Old Churchyard from her latest solo album. It's entitled By Appointment or Chance. Miranda's our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. We've been having a wonderful conversation about her music and her advocacy. And now we're going to talk about her record label, because I think you've been running Roaring Girl Records, what, for three or four years now? Um, I think my first release was my solo album, Whipping Boy. So whenever That's that came out. Then. Yeah. So tell us why you wanted to start the label. I got to be honest, I love boutique record labels. I love people who actually, you know, make the effort to really put their music out because we've mentioned a little bit about streaming before. And I admitted that, you know, I'm actually quite happy to accept music digitally now, but I really miss the physical copy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I I miss the liner notes because you learn things like putting pens into harps to, to create different sounds and that sort of thing. So... I am scared of losing all that. So when somebody comes along and says, well, I'm going to actually go ahead and make my own label. I'm going to make sure all these pieces come together. That's a wonderful thing. But it must also be a lot of work and obviously trying to make sure that actually everything works out at the end of the day. So take us through a little bit of your process for coming up with the label. Yeah, well, I really wanted a vehicle to put out my album. Um, As you can, I think you've probably gleaned. I like to know how things work. I'm really intrigued by behind the scenes. And so, you know, when I when I had this record ready to go, which was produced by a Grammy winner, um, Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek, I talked with a couple of smaller labels. I wanted to know more about how and why. Like I'm very, I'm I'm really an advocate of show your work. And I, I thought, well, if I'm gonna know what you're doing already, then if I'm gonna learn what you're doing because you're showing me, then I could do it myself. So I wanted to do, kind of learn. 
wow, steep learning curve. I mean, holy cow. The one thing that is so is so important to me and which underlies everything I do is community. So having having the label more as a community hub for artists that I love, you know, it's a passion project. Um, I'll be honest with the digital revolution. And even in the last five years, physical has gone to such a different level from even when I started. So it's gone mostly digital. And in fact, a lot of the, the latest releases I haven't even done. I haven't even done a physical distribution through my distributor, Fontana North, because for my artists, it's not worth it. They can sell it from their website and from their, from their stages uh, and make more money. Again, as a business person in this particular realm, uh, I'm not an excellent one because I have, I try to make sure that my deals are very fair, but also at any kind of point in time, I, I really try to take a hit for the artists. For example, um, Bandcamp did a free uh, day, a day where they were waiving all their fees. And so I encouraged all of my artists to, to put their albums up on Bandcamp on Friday um, in order to, to take advantage of that, which of course the label makes nothing from. I just thought in this day and age, they need the extra help. And even just doing the accounting, the way that the streaming is now probably cost me more money than than the label would make. <laughs> so in terms of a business venture, it's terrible. But in terms of a community builder, it's wonderful. And so I'm I'm really proud of kind of keeping it going. And and the artists that I have put out um, on the label are amazing. I, I'm sure you've had Dana Sipos on your show or played her. Uh, she's astonishing. I mean, she is she is such a bright light. And and I I wish more people could know about her and play her albums. She is amazing. Tim Moxham, another incredible artist. He's a great songwriter. He's also an incredible carpenter, mm. which is something that um, I really try to work with him uh, to be very open about, which he has late, lately, because there's no shame in being having another job that's actually that's actually a, an incredible artistic job. Yeah, I guess I kind of just I see it as as a, an umbrella that I can bring in artists underneath. And then, you know, if as they develop, maybe try to help them get a deal with with them with a larger company or help them get representation or whatever they can do. So just trying to use all of my connections and um, yeah, and, and try to help out. But I, I'm very proud of it. You know, I'm proud of the work that that's been done so far. And, and I wish I had more time to concentrate on, um, you know, doing social media and all the other things that have to be caught up with that. But but at the moment, it's a great vehicle. For me and it can be very nimble i can be very nimble with it well you know one of the things i love in radio is that you know when i'm working with people like roaring girl or borealis records you know the two of of canada's great boutique labels is you know what you're getting you mentioned dana sipos i love her to death an incredible songwriter i have the privilege of chatting to tim moxham just a short while ago because he was working with stopgap on ramps for uh, mm -hmm. making all music venues accessible, which as my partner has a disability is a big and very important thing for me. So all of things, these things are really cool. And again, you know, when I get that envelope that comes in and it has Roaring Girl or Borealis on it, I know that I'm getting quality. Uh, I know Yay. that I'm getting, I know that I'm getting an album that is actually put together as a package. I, I hope eventually people will appreciate that actually having the physical version of something with all of the information is the way to go. And obviously, when we're in this time where people can't perform as much as they have been able to, and, you know, the reality is that a lot of artists have been living off the money they can make as a live performer, it's really important that we all do our bit. And, you know, if we love their music, then get out and buy it. 
Oh, it's so fun. I mean, I've sent off a bunch of mine by appointment or chance physical copies and and I, I sort of send them all out to the post office with such a smile, just that people are want to want to have physical copies. And we we're pre-ordering our physical copies of the new Harold Fair right now. And we had some really great orders over the weekend. It just, yeah, it really warms my heart. And I think one of the upsides of this pandemic, if I may, is just that there's been such um, a renaissance of uh, art appreciation. And you're seeing so many museums go online and art galleries online and artists performing live from their living rooms. I don't know if I want to do that. I'm feeling a little precious, <laughs> a little bit. But, um, but I think it's wonderful that and people are actually, oh, right, we do value books and music. And um, uh, and so maybe there'll be, maybe this will be, um, yeah, a real renaissance uh, and will live into the future. Well, that's certainly, that's a great thought. And there will be blessings that come out of this. And we just hope that, you know, everybody can stay safe and well and, you know, we can get through the back of this. And then who knows, move forward with a, a new world for the arts. Certainly that comes through in the conversation we're having. I have to say, you're a great advocate for for live music and musicians generally. We also have one last thing to, to squeeze into this interview, and that's the Muskoka Music Festival. It used to be the Soda City Music Festival. Now in, in its fourth year, when you started this, was that all about community building? Oh, 100%. Yeah. My great-great-grandfather was the mayor of Gravenhurst, which is where the festival takes place. And when he was the mayor, he had the opera house built on the main street because he felt it was really important to have a place where community can gather and arts and culture are valued. I decided to do this five years ago and came up with a planning. And yeah, it's one of those things too, where you start doing something, you don't really quite realize how much work it's going to be, but it's so worth it, you know? Um, and it's just been this incredible thing for me. And I'm so, so proud of it. I have a great team. We take over the August long weekend in Gravenhurst and we use all kinds of little venues in the town. The most important thing for me is that 17% of Gravenhurst lives below the poverty uh, line because of a year round, you know, we, there's obviously an influx of cottagers in the summer, but you know, there's still a lot of, um, a lot of uh, problems social problems that um, I wanted to not only sort of address and talk about when we're celebrating uh, music, but also address in terms of making it accessible. So 90% of our uh, programming is free. And then we also have other tiers. So we have concerts at the Opera House, our main venue, thanks to my great, great grandfather. And then we have VIP, you know, tickets where people can pay a little bit extra and they get some extra experiences that happen. But I wanted to keep it affordable and also I wanted to make sure that visitors come and rather than kind of buying a $10 water bottle in the middle of a field, they go to local restaurants and they go to local stores and they walk up and down the main street and it's a real celebration of the community. So yeah, I'm, I feel really, really honored. Honestly, they've, they, because I've been going to Muskoka and Gravenhurst since I was an embryo, we have a small family cottage um, on Gull Lake. It's my happy place. I wish I was self-isolating up there right now, but I can't get to it because it's, it's you got to go by boat. And I have a little rowboat, which is turned up in storage right now. So I can't even get to my my favorite place. But yeah, they all know me as the kind of crazy musician who just rows around the lake. I'll row myself to town and then go in and get my groceries and row myself back home. Yeah, this place means so much to me and they really embrace the festival and everyone's been pretty amazing. Our, our, our Sunday venue is um, this barge it's on the middle of the water that was built for 
the Queen's visit in 1969. So, so it's this yellow, funny, crazy barge, but you can watch the concert from a beach or from the dock or from your canoe or kayak, or you can watch it from a, a grassy hill. So it's, it's pretty spectacular and there's nowhere else like it in the world. Well, certainly some of folk festivals are some of the best experiences that you can have. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that the fourth Muskoka Music Festival does take place this year. That will be July the 31st to August the 2nd. And if people want to get more information, how can they do that? Yeah, MuskokaMusicFestival.com. We'll have, uh, a, a, you can see the galleries of years past and things that have, of some of the performers who've been there. We're, you know, we're, we're planning as if it's going to go ahead. Obviously, there's a lot of upheaval and funding questions that need to be answered. But but I know I'm I'm an optimist. And so I like to plan for things going ahead, but with the um with the backup of in just in case, I, I think I'll try to think of something that could be virtual or have another component um if if that's not possible. One other thing that's that's kind of neat that I'll mention just with regards to the festival is that Harold Fair actually went to Muskoka uh, at the very beginning of March before all of this. And we made a music video at the Opera House, which will be coming out with our album. But again, it's a celebration of community, which underlies pretty much everything I do. So um, keep your eyes tuned for that. We definitely will. Kudos for that as well. We've got one thing left to do, and that's pick the final song to play. We're going to play The Parting Glass, which is another beautiful trad song. Tell us a little bit about this one. Oh, man. I was in a show called uh, Spirit of Ireland that went across the uh, um, the U.S. Uh, just, I think, in the in the wake of Riverdance. And um, in Spirit of Ireland was this guy, um, Daniel Payne. He's from Newfoundland, uh, an amazing musician. And he, he taught me this song. And he also told me, he showed me that the voice squad, who does a, a great version of it, uh, amazing men's, little men's choir, I mean, there's just no way better to say goodbye at any sort of moment than than this song. And um, and uh, yeah, it's always been one of my very, very favorites. So I'm glad I was given the opportunity to record it. That's a perfect way to finish. And Miranda, it's been an absolute pleasure. We have been talking about doing this for years. We finally succeeded during a <laughs> pandemic, but we did it. <laughs> Uh, life will go on we will be all here we will be you'll be playing music i will be raving about how wonderful it was thanks again for being on folk roots radio this is miranda mulholland with the parting glass from by appointment or chance you're listening to folk roots radio and i'm jan hall and thanks again Party. Mm-hmm.
going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had Would wish me one more day to stay But since it falls unto That's Miranda Mulholland with her version of Trad Song, The Parting Glass. That's from her second solo album, By Appointment or Chance. And that's it. That's all we have time for in this hour of Folk Roots Radio. You can check out this episode again on demand via our website at folkrootsradio.com, alongside many other interviews and radio episodes. And thanks again to all of our radio partners who help us bring Folk Roots Radio to you each week. We'll leave you with the beautiful instrumental Hunt for Zacks. Stay safe and well, everyone. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. We'll see you next time.